So right. are you a uh, a Pro Tools guy or a Logic guy, or what do you primarily use? I use Logic. I mean, I learned how to use Pro Tools back in the day. I learned GarageBand, Logic, and way back in the day, when I was in college, I used Fruity Loops. Oh, shit. But I prefer Logic. I always preferred Logic. It just seemed a little more user-friendly, and I liked the MIDI because I do a lot of songwriting through MIDI. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I used to. I don't as much anymore. Um, I'm kind of getting back into it, but I used to do a lot of my songwriting MIDI. So when you, uh, when you're doing the songwriting, are you composing like full band and then giving it to your band to play? Yes. Okay. Yes. All the parts. All the parts. Do you write them out for them as well? Or is it just, you give them the tracks? No. Um, the only thing is I'll get horn charts written um i think i i have kind of a goal in the back of my mind and it's to learn how to read and write music again because i did when i was younger and i still do know a little bit but not fluent it's the kind of thing that uh is another musical muscle i think you ha- so you have to work it because like i i kind of knew a little bit how to read before i moved to nashville but truthfully it's so funny. I didn't really start learning how to read until I, I got here, like start taking oh, that piece yeah. seriously. Cause I was like, even though I've never once been asked to read a piece of music since I moved to Nashville, I've been here for seven years, almost eight years. Never once has anyone asked me, but part of the thing was if I'm going to be playing, I, I, and maybe this is like just an insecurity of mine. I didn't necessarily feel like I had the talent to not be able to be able to do it you know what i'm saying yeah a lot of time it has nothing to do with talent yeah it has to do with you know you wanting to learn and you wanting to connect in that way yeah um and to be honest a lot of musicians are lazy yeah including myself sometimes yeah absolutely i'm guilty (laughs) of that as well yeah um i had this great uh bass teacher his name's uh roy vote he taught at belmont but i was just taking private lessons with him um so i would pay him and he was like you need to learn how to read basically you got to take this more seriously and then mckay's actually they have a great like music material section for Mm. bass it's it's one little one of the little shelves but there's so many great books because there's it's all because nashville is filled with so many musicians Mm -hmm. people are always turning their shit in and they're like i don't really need this anymore i gotta pay rent um, but yeah, a bunch of different sight reading books. I, I've been or able they just to like scanned it and they're like, Oh, I'm just going to keep this like on my computer. Yeah. Cause everyone yeah. has iPads now. Yeah. You know, a lot of musicians well. just use their iPads and so they'll scan their stuff in or take pictures of it and they'll just put it on their iPad and they're like, I don't, I don't have any use for this book anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I have like a, a, sh- a whole shelf f- full of probably like. 15 or 20 different books and there's one in particular that i really like it's uh walking jazz bass lines by jay hungerford and it has yeah yeah (laughs) um it has all these different uh like how to play a two five one Uh on the bass and how to do like walking chromatic lines and once i i got that book i realized when it, in terms of jazz, like jazz is really like algebra for bass lines. 
because you're in one spot and you have to figure out you got X and you got Z. You got to figure out what Y is yeah. to get there. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of times um, it's holding the root. So it's a little more, like you said, like mathematical while everything else is kind of dancing around that with harmonies and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, melodies and all that. Have you ever been a big jazz guy? Yeah, I love listening to jazz and I try to play it, but that's another venture that I'm, you know, hopefully going to be on in the next year or two as well. So getting more in that realm because I've been into funk and soul for a while and that is, if you think about it, it's kind of like jazz, like sections of jazz. Like when a jazz phrase was like, let's say it's 16 bars, Mm -hmm. they take two bars of it or four bars of it and they just repeat it. Right. Yeah. And let's say they take four bars of it and they repeat it and that's funk and they add a fat beat to it and a bump and bass line on the one and then hip-hop simplified that as well so hip-hop then sampled the funk so it would be a four-bar phrase and turned into a two-bar phrase you know what i mean yeah totally it's crazy the progression that you've seen over time i wouldn't say it was modern hip-hop modern hip-hop is its own thing at this point and i haven't really dissected it because i'm not really a fan but like 90s and early 2000s hip-hop for sure used a lot of that yeah well we were talking about the meters before we started today and the the meters have probably they're probably one of the most like sampled bands of all time i imagine at this point yeah it's like them and james brown yeah (laughs) i don't don't really i mean other other ones are like random jazz artists and like just funk artists funk artists but like for the most samples yeah uh you know i i watched this thing recently i think it was like this last year and you know that aliyah song it was like in the dr doolittle soundtrack or whatever okay and that was produced by timberland and it showed timberland literally taking a meters track i can't remember which meters track it might have been a couple of different ones and he literally take took the guitar line like from them and he took like each note out and that's how he made that. Interesting. He made that whole thing with the meters track, but it none of it actually plays any of the riffs. But he just took the guitar. So it's literally Leo's guitar on that track, but it's playing a totally different like progression. From several different songs. I think it might just be from one song, but uh, you'll have to look into it. But okay. you can just research Timbaland, Aaliyah, Meters, like whatever, on YouTube. Well, even um, that one song that you played, the first one, it was uh, Everybody Wants to Get Rich Right, right Away, right? Mm-hmm. Off of Desitively Bonnaroo. I, I think that song has been sampled, too, in a hip-hop song. I'm sure. That horn part, you know, in the beginning where it's like yeah. the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Um, cause the first time I heard it, that whole album sounded kind of familiar to me. And then once I started deep diving more into the meters, I was like, oh shit. Okay. They were used on this song and this song and this song. Yeah. It's honestly crazy. Uh, and maybe that's a big reason of why, you know, the older I got, I was drawn to James Brown. I was drawn to the meters I think it might be one of those things that when you're little, you hear all this stuff. And when I was a 90s kid, so I heard a lot of this 90s hip-hop. 
because that was kind of in at the time. Mm-hmm. And I heard all this stuff, and I, I didn't even care that much about the rapping and the lyrics. I cared more about the music. I thought the music was really cool. But I guess they were using all these samples that I didn't even know. So it was like stuck in my brain and I got older and I heard the actual songs and I was like, this sounds familiar. I really like this. And it's because it was truly the music that was happening, you know, even like the Marvin Gaye stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I used to listen to a lot of like Master P and uh, like No Limit Soldier stuff like back in the day and like Mystical and all that. And they used they would kind of do the production kind of like Dr. Dre did where he would use, he would sample things, but he wouldn't actually like on his 2001 chronic album, he actually got a live band in there to come in and play to replay the samples. So he wouldn't actually be using the samples, but he would, they would be playing the samples. And that's kind of what master P did on a couple of the tracks. Like I can't remember. I think it's, I really miss my homies. That was one of my favorites. It was, I really miss my homies. And the progression I found out later, I was like, that's sexual healing. I'm pretty sure it was the sexual healing progression. Right. And, you know, I get older and I like, I learn about all these solo artists and stuff. And I'm just like, this is my shit. This is really my shit. And then I'm like, if I go back and I listen to the stuff I listened to when I was younger, I was like, they were listen- they were literally just like flipping this stuff. Well, it was you know the stuff I mean? that they were probably listening to when they were little, or their parents were listening to, or their parents were listening to, and yeah. so their parents would play it on their on the uh, record player, and they would just they soaked it up in their brains, and so they got older, and they're like, that's what they hear, and yeah. you know, in their musical brain, that's what they hear. Yeah, I think for me, like looking back on my earliest like musical memories. The Beach Boys is probably the first music I really remember. Oh, okay. Um, but as I started getting older, it was like there was a Beach Boys Greatest Hits. There was um, like a Motown Greatest Hits. Mm-hmm. And a, uh, Billy Joel was another one. Mm-hmm. Which um, The Stranger, Dr. Dre sampled that as well, right? I'm not 100% sure. That one that's like... I think it's um okay. I can't remember. It's something off of uh, Snoo- uh, Doggy Style by Snoop. Dogg. Yeah, it's uh, it's the Shiznit. The Shiznit. Yeah. yeah, it goes. Yeah, I remember we play. It goes That's a Billy Joel song. It's the sh- yeah. the Stranger off the Stranger. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> but who would have ever thought though? Like. Because I've heard the Shiznit a million times in my life, and I've heard the Stranger a million times in my life, and then one day I was listening to the Shiznit, and I'm like, "This sounds so fucking familiar to me. What <laughs> is it?" And then I realized, and I'm like, "No way, Dr. Dre sampled Billy Joel. Show but, did, but he did, yeah. Genius. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I think there's like music today. Everyone." always says like everything's already been done which i think is true to a certain degree but each one of us are our own unique soul you know what i mean and like music is the sound of of a, of a, a piece of every one of us when you're in a band collaborating it's it's the sound of, of many souls coming together um but with the idea of um sampling or doing mashups or anything like that 
Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Like, uh, Mark Ronson kind of does that too. He has this great album called version. Have you ever listened to that? No. Okay. So this was probably his second record, I think, but it's after Amy Winehouse already blew up. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the album that has Valerie on it. So he did mm. like Valerie is technically a Mark Ronson song because it was on his album and it was featuring Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it that that song Valerie is is a cover of a, like a 2004 like indie rock like British Kaiser Chiefs kind of band. I, I think the band's called like the Zootones or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Mark Ronson does a version of it where it's entirely fucking different from that. You know what I mean? He turns it into yep. a Motown throwback. And to even take it a step further, um, th- that was uh, like the legend goes that they cut that in like one take at the end of the session. They There's another version of Valerie that uh, Amy cut with Mark Ronson that's on Linus, which is like her deep cuts and B-sides album that was released after she passed away. But that version is more, more e- even more like a Motown song because they're playing like like Nick Moff shown is playing all these crazy Jamerson lines mm-hmm. and the whole arrangement is different. It's way breezier. It's less oh, straightforward. Okay. It, it's more, um, it's more Marvin Gaye. And the one that was released is more Supremes. You know what I mean? More gotcha. straightforward. Yes. Um, but I just love the idea of reinvention, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like with cooking. A lot of people like, new restaurants and fusions coming out today it's like you know there's a traditional way of making curry and then there's people that are making curry very different today even with the similar you know ingredients right and i would say that's kind of with with music um a lot of it's been done but it hasn't been done a certain way and i think that's what it comes down to you know it's just changing up the flavor a little bit are you big into to cooking um or are you a foodie uh, yeah i'm a foodie and yeah i I've gotten into cooking. I've fallen out of cooking and I'm starting to get back into it a little bit. It's one of those things that's I've always been into my whole life because my parents taught us how to cook when we were little and I would help out. And, uh, I think it's really important when people don't know how to cook. I, my mind is kind of blown because I feel like it's a necessary thing to, you know, to really live. You have to, you have to eat. Yeah. But also like, to be independent, to not yeah. have to depend on other people to feed you. Yeah. Or to like go to a, I mean, sure, you'll have to go to a grocery store or whatever to get your vegetables unless you grow them yourself and your meat and all that stuff. Um, but even, you know, my sister's, she's a farmer out in Gainesville and she's, she's on the spectrum where she doesn't even have to go to a grocery store. She just has everything. She has everything. I mean, not everything. They'll go to a grocery store. Let me, don't get me wrong. Yeah. To get hot sauce, to get mustard. Stuff like that, right? Condiments and and sometimes like teas and coffee and stuff. But usually not even grocery stores because they do the CSA. What's that? CSA is like a meetup for people that sign up for like like a market. And there's all these different farmers that come to the market. There's people that have coffee. There's like local people that have coffee. There's local people that have, you know, specifically meat. There's people that just have flowers. There's people that just have like you know, vegetables. There's people that have vegetables and meat and milk. There's people that just sell soaps, like local soaps, like stuff like that, you know? So it's all for trade? Well, I think that they trade as well. You know what I mean? Um, Their vegetables and their meat and stuff. 
uh, and milk and yogurt and all that. But I mean, I think that's, that's really cool. I just don't have the, the time or energy to put in that. I mean, yeah. that's their livelihood. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, sure we have to, you know, we have to go to the grocery and do all that stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a big part of just being self-sufficient and it's empowering, you know, and just being able to take care of yourself in all those kinds of ways. And, but also I, I really like, like I wait tables as well and I truly like it. I wouldn't still be waiting. I've waited tables for like almost 15 years or more and I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't like it. Like, What do you like about it? I really like, and same for cooking. Like I like cooking for other people. I really like, I don't know. I, I like to see people's reactions. I like people to be happy. I like people to, you know, me suggest something or cook something for somebody and then just be like, oh my God, that was so good. And just feel so good afterwards. Something about that brings me extreme joy. It's almost primal, you know, I think in a way, because it's like, if you think about it, there had to be someone around the, the campfire back in the, uh, the caveman days who was like, oh, yeah. I'm the one who cooks the meat or I'm the one who grills the vegetables or I'm the one who does this or I'm the one who does that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. This is yeah, I mean, random. absolutely. I, I, but it also, you know, it relates to a lot of things and it relates to music as well. I mean, that's why I like doing live music. Like everything that goes into live music, there's a lot of preparation and there's a lot of um, stress that's involved, right? and a lot of sitting around, waiting around, especially when you're touring. Um, but the joy that you bring people in that moment, whatever that moment is, if it's the whole show or if it's just a five minute piece of the show or if it's just after the show when people come up and they just tell you how much they enjoyed it and how much it's just like, I mean, I've had people just be like, this, this like saved my life tonight. Like this made me just, feel so good and like I'm happy again like this has brought extreme joy to me like that that kind of stuff is the reason that I do it honestly I mean I love making it and it's a good release for me but that is like for the live thing you know the studio thing's a totally different thing it's like I'm doing this purely for my artistic expression and to have this as a release you know um but for the live thing, for sure, it, it brings me a lot of a lot of joy and it inspires me to keep doing it every time that someone comes up and and tells me how much uh, joy or love or anything that it brought them that night. Have you ever gone through a phase where you didn't feel that with music? I don't really think so. You know, I've been playing music since I was four years old and um I mean, I, even at recitals when I was younger and if people came up to me and told me how good it was, it, it, the thing is it, it feels like it should feed the ego, but it didn't, it doesn't really feed my ego so much, at least that I'm, that I'm knowing it's, it's that I'm looking at it as like, it's, it's making them happy. You know what I mean? And that's what inspires me. It's not like. It's not like fluffing me up to make like, oh yeah, I need this. You know, it's like, no, I need, I need this person to feel something. And if they're not feeling something, then I don't have any purpose here. Totally. Yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, it's, um, 
it's interesting just the, the the different approaches and personality types I think that come along with it because that the that one part you mentioned where there's people that need like I've played with people where they need to be told like yeah, validation how, yeah how good yeah. they are you know oh, yeah um, and it's it's interesting the older that I've gotten too because I feel like my relationship with music has changed over the years. Like, there's times, like, I remember, man, just being, like, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid and just the hours that would disappear playing. And Mm -hmm. the older you get, it's harder to get back to that point, you know, because you got a job or you got a girlfriend or you got to go meet up with your friends for to talk about this gig or this thing that you're you're doing or you got to whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. just all the normal stuff of life. Um and th- there's been phases where um, I've fallen like out of love with music. I still love it, you know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like the the good song hits me just right, and then I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I do this. Yeah. When you have that pop at night where the band is just locked in and the audience is actually into it, um, I think it can be deadly in a way if you're just staying in Nashville and only playing in Nashville, like the East Nashville scene. Mm -hmm. At least it was for me because every time you go out to play, you're playing for a room full of musicians. So I feel like my perspective kind of got warped almost. Um, And it's like every time that I've gone out of town to play a gig, even up to Clarksville or Knoxville or whatever, it's like, Oh yeah, people enjoy music. They like it Mm -hmm. and they want to dance and they want to sing and they want to have fun. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of people get psych. They psych themselves out with like what you said. With you're you're in a room full of musicians. You know, I really think that you have to ignore that, and you just have to focus on I'm playing for people that I'm going to entertain. It doesn't matter if they're musicians. It doesn't matter if they're, um, you know, like children if they're old people if they're that you know it's nine to fivers that just they work and they don't have any musical knowledge uh or if it's just random people that don't have musical knowledge i mean you're just you're just you're just an entertainer out there and i think that's what it comes down to and i think it's important to just remind yourself that that's what you're there for honestly you're you're right i do need to do that i think i just get so caught up it's like we were talking before this where I was just in a, a tailspin of doing too much stuff. And I think doing too much stuff can really take the enjoyment out of things you even like. Well, on top of that, you don't have, you're not entitled. It's not that entitled. It's, you don't have a responsibility to impress anybody. Yeah. You're not trying to impress anybody. Don't try to impress anybody. Just try and just try and be happy and like do what makes you happy and like impress yourself. You know, for sure. I think for me, it's not so much the impress part. I think what it was was getting burned out on people just having their arms folded back of the room, which I'm guilty of. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm totally guilty of that. Um, I think I I have to become a 
a fan of music again in a lot of ways and rehab my relationship with it. Yeah. And I recently called you about a, a project that I'm doing. Um, we haven't like fully announced it yet, but it's a, a, a Tarantino night. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm at liberty to say right now. But me wanting to do that, that was really like, this is something I've always wanted to fucking do. Yeah. And I'm super stoked to do it. And I'm super stoked for everybody that I've got on board for it so far. And it's like a, a truly a dream come true. Because I remember there's there's this record store in my hometown called Bull Moose. And Bull Moose, they created this software that um, that Grimey's uses, that Amoeba Records in LA uses, mm-hmm. a lot of indie stores use. And basically it calculates what to buy next based off of what your current customers are buying. And mm-hmm. what they started noticing, this was the example that they gave me when I talked to them about it, but they said every October their their hocus pocus sales like dvd sales would be ridiculous so this is a place that's similar to mckay's but Mm -hmm. instead of one location there's like 10 or 15 of them Mm. um and i just think back to those days of being uh being a kid and wanting to really love it again you know what i mean yeah wanting to fall in love with music um it just got to hit me at the right moment yeah and i think it Another thing is, is like sometimes when I go out to shows, um, you know, you can see it in the musicians. They're taking it a little too seriously. They're taking themselves a little too seriously. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. You you want to take yourself seriously and you, because that's how other people take you seriously. But if you really want to break that, you know, arm folding kind of where everyone's kind of in a serious kind of like listening mode, smile, yeah. laugh. Say something weird on the mic. Who cares? Like, yeah. just like, I think that loosens people up. You know, it's just talking to people like a real person instead of being like some entertainer on stage or some announcer or some just like bigger than life kind of like vibe kind of person, mm-hmm. you know, and just trying to be like, you know, got your brow, fr- uh, your brows kind of down and like tight and you know, no smile on the face and just like hard concentration. It's like, you need to do that sometimes, especially when you're trying to nail a part. But I think, you know, the older I get too, I mean, I've been guilty of of that, just taking it too seriously and trying to play Mr. Cool, you know, but like in reality, I think if you want people to unfold their arms and feel a little looser, you have to do that. You're in control of that. You're literally on the stage. You got the microphone, you got the soapbox, you're in control of that. So take control and if you want to if you want to loosen people up then talk to the band figure out a plan to how to do that and just go for it you know no i think that's that's definitely wise advice um you've grown up in nashville right uh yeah i grew up outside of nashville about 15 minutes south okay um what has been like where did you start playing in town when you first started playing how old were you um I think I was like 18 or 19, I think. And I played my first show. It was like a classic rock. I, was, I had this like classic rock band called the Royal Purples. And we That's played, a badass name. Thank you. And we played at uh we played at the Muse. And the Muse was like as part of it's where that Domino's I think it's a Domino's now and it's on the corner of like 
I can't remember what street it is, Lafayette or something, and it's over by 3rd and Lindsley. Oh, yeah, okay. And that used to be, the front used to be Kung Fu Coffee, and the back was the Muse. Right off the highway. Right off the highway, yeah. And it was this dumpy, like, place. It was very much like the end, but it was, I don't know the owners of the end, but the owners of this place were, like, meth addicts, and they were crazy. Um, But it's funny talking about it because I used to go to punk rock shows back there like back in the day and I remember one night I was I was a little I was drinking and I remember my buddy who's who had a bunch of piercings he's this punk rock dude that had like liberty spikes he talked me into getting my lip pierced and I still it you can see the hole it's like oh shit and my lip was pierced by the owner of the muse that night like one of those nights (laughs) it wasn't the night that I played there but um, it's hilarious. Um, a little piece of, little piece of natural history on my lip scar, but, um, yeah. yeah, but that was the first show that I played. And then I went to MTSU and then I played, I used to play every Friday at Calypso cafe. And then I'd play every Sunday at mellow mushroom. And it was just me and it was a conga player. And that conga player was my buddy Max Melner, who lives in Asheville, North Carolina now. He would play keys, too. He had this little, like, Casio keyboard, and he would, like, switch up between keys and whatnot. And I would do covers and originals, but mostly covers, like, I can't even remember, like, what would I do? Steve Miller Band, The Joker, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But I would, you know, we'd jam, too, you know? And so I would have, like, a effects, multi-effects pedal, and I'd have my electric guitar and my amp. And I don't think I played acoustic guitar. I think it was electric on everything. And we would have just moments where we would just jam out. And it was fun. A lot of delay. <laughs> a lot of reverse delay and wah pedal stuff going on. It was it was interesting, for sure. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, what, uh, what, are you mainly a Strat guy? No, I'm opposite. I'm, I'm a Gibson guy. Okay. What yeah. do you play, a 335? I play a 345, it's a 67 345 that was, um, it was, like, it's weird, like, the back was cut out where, like, a Les Paul would be cut out, like, so you can work on it, mm-hmm. and then it, it seems like they plugged up the stereo that was on there, like, the stereo setting, so they basically made it mono, and they made it, um, they basically made it a 335 so it's technically a 345 with the 345 neck and all that but they they frankenstein it to be a 335 and what kind of amp do you like rocking when i'm playing that guitar i like to play my i have a 65 deluxe reissue nice hell and yeah. i got that in around 2011 i think from corner music when they were on uh 12 South? 12 South, yeah. yeah. I traded in I traded in a Blues Deluxe DeVille. Those things are loud. Yeah, it was too loud. Yeah. 410, and then a Ampeg bass, I think it was a SVT bass head. And I traded both of those amps in for that amp. So I wouldn't have to pay anything extra. Is that a silver face, the one you got? No, no, no. The 60, the... I think the silver faces are the 68 deluxe okay. issue. Okay. Yeah. Nice. No, I I don't know. The, the silver face are cool. I think the silver face are cool on certain amps, but n- not on the smaller ones. I think like it, 
the super reverbs they're pretty cool on and like the um the basements like the basement 500s oh yeah i think the silver faces are cool on those but on the other ones like even the princetons i'm like mm, it sounds cheap to me you know the black faces sound like a little more smooth and it's just a little more rounded a little less teethy i don't know how to else to describe it interesting yeah i i don't have a bass amp right now my bass amp died like a year ago and um but i did have a fender uh a fender rumble like the the newer series that they released that i like the super, i like the rumbles super lightweight super lightweight um but they, it was per, a perfect gigging amp it's it, it it really is and it's got a clean out on it mm-hmm. i never had any problems with the rumbles i think yeah. it's great yeah yeah, it took a it took a shit and died actually at the end when I was playing with the Weird Sisters one. God. Yeah, but I don't know if it was. Did you buy it new? I bought it new. Yeah. So it did this not have a warranty. At this point, it was probably maybe three or four years since I oh, bought okay. it. Okay. So I think Fender does like three year warranties. <laughs> so That's usually was, what happens. Yeah, right? <laughs> of course. Well, it's like all those parts are only rated for a certain number of hours. So gotcha. I, I don't even know what happened to it, but I've been um, thinking about what I'm going to get for my next bass amp. And um, I've always been a solid state guy, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about maybe a tube amp. Yeah, I mean, as long as you don't get a lemon, that's the thing. I had an Ampeg SVT head and it had like eight tubes in it, but it was a lemon. And it was like there would be a burnt tube like every fucking like three to six months man damn and those tubes they were big ass tubes and they were like a hundred a piece or something yeah or more that's expensive to maintain yeah it was super expensive or it might have not been that expensive for the tubes but like to get them replaced and stuff because i didn't know how to fuck with that stuff back in the day yeah um yeah it was just it was kind of it felt like a money pit to me yeah i mean honestly i would tubes are great but if you can maintain it and have the money to maintain yeah. it, you know, it's like that. That's the, the catch-22 of a tube amp. Kind of. I mean, like I said, as long as it's not a lemon, if you get a, a good one that's, that's, I mean, my deluxe uh, reverb reissue, I've only had to replace tubes in it once, and I've had it since 2011, and I've toured with it and everything. That's crazy. That's that is pretty crazy. fucking crazy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like... I just got a good one. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's like roll the dice and uh, you might get a great one where you never have to replace the tubes and it never has any problems. But with this gear, it's just, it's literally rolling the dice. Yeah. You never know what you're going to buy. Yeah. I've never truthfully really been like a gearhead or a gear snob. I've almost like chosen to be ignorant about a lot of stuff. Like I know... I know for sure, like, in terms of bass playing, I like P basses and I like flat wounds, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm just not interested in, in really playing rounds. It was like once I discovered flat wounds, that was it for me. Have you ever tried half wounds? I have not. Try it. Okay. It might change your life. Okay. I've got a jazz bass, a 97 jazz bass with half wounds on it, and it sounds fucking dope. Is it a Mexi? Is it an American? No, it's American. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. What color is it? It was teal. It was like a sparkly teal, but I had my buddy paint it gold, like a 
like a sparkly gold. That's badass. Yeah. And it's got the pearl proloid pickguard. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's nice. I um the nicest bass I've ever owned, it was this uh the sixty five Fender Jazz bass that I got for four hundred dollars or two hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. Um, from my hometown, like local music shop. Mm-hmm. And um I opened the door and the dude who walked out was the dude who just sold it to the store. I was the next person in and the shop owner was like, Hey, check this out. And I open it up and it's this case. That's all beat to shit. It's a, a fender case. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, this jazz base that the headstock, like the, the logo was stripped. It was painted over, um, with like a paintbrush. So it looked like shit. It had a horrible paint oh, job, wow. candy, apple, red paint job. And I ended up buying it. It had flat wounds on it, so that's how I first started playing oh. flat wounds. Because um, at first I tried them, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with these bass strings? But that's what came stock, I think, until the early 70s or mid-70s from Fender was yeah. flat wounds. Yeah. Um, so it was probably the original strings. There was a string package in there um, that was empty, but I'm pretty sure... It, it, Maybe the owner replaced them once or something. I don't know. But it was one owner. Um, he was like a pastor at a church and mm-hmm. completely stripped it. But eventually I moved out to Colorado and I was working at Wildwood Guitars. And they have like super nice stuff from Fender, Gibson, like custom shop, like John Cruz, like top of the line builders. Mm-hmm. And they always had a fender rep coming in and I told him, Hey, I want to restore this bass." He told me, take a picture of, uh, the, the back of the neck and send it to me, send me the serial and I'll get you a decal for that bass." Um, and I refinished it. Well, I had a, a friend refinish it in Sonic blue. I don't know mm. if you know that color. It's like a baby blue vintage fender color. Yeah. I think I do know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just like the flat, like it doesn't have any sparkle to it. It's just, no, yeah, 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 no sparkle. Yeah, it's no, like sure. a like a pastel kind of color. Kind of, yeah. But it's um, like a little darker, right? Um, kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a, uh, it was beautiful, dude. If I can find pictures of this base, I'll eventually post it. But when I moved to Nashville, um, I bought my P base that I have now, which is my my, it's not my best instrument, but is my favorite instrument I've ever owned. Mm-hmm. Um. But I eventually sold that jazz bass because I was about to get evicted from my fucking apartment when I first moved here. Oh, man. And I was just like, I had no money. I was broke as shit, um, jobless at the time. And that bass saved me. Um, I ended up profiting. I, I probably, I think I sold it for like two or three grand, uh-huh. which is not bad considering what I bought it for and the fact that it was a refinished I- instrument. Yeah. And the dude... um message me that i sold it to he tried to get me to give him money back and said like the paint job wasn't good and it was it was beautiful yeah he was like this paint sticky was it done by a professional i was like yes like the guys that work at wildwood are expert level like lutheries or what that's what it's called right luthery or i don't know it's like dudes (laughs) who work on guitars that's like their craft luthers yeah yeah (laughs) um 
But yeah, I just always thought that was funny. I'm like, this dude not only got this bass out of steel, but it's yeah. a beautiful instrument. And it sounded cool too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a. Uh, when I moved here, that bass teacher, I brought it to. Um, to a lesson with him and he looked at it and he's like never bring that bass out in public don't gig with that he's like you need to get something else because someone will steal that from you yeah because it was just a perfect paint job it looked brand new but mm -hmm. it was a you know 50 something 40 something year old instrument at the time yeah and i would rock like when i first moved to town i'm actually doing it again trying to revamp my playing but i like rocking the, the mute on there Okay. Um, like I yeah. have a foam mute up on my P base. I'll, like yeah. I'll show it to you before you go. Um, it sounds cool as shit, dude. I love those old mutes. Yeah. Have you ever seen those before? Have you ever played one of? The, like, I haven't actually played with one on, but yeah. I've definitely seen them. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's a sound. It's it's a very like into its like itself kind of thing. Yeah. You know? It's just so like throwback like that's the vibe it's the the motown the fucking stacks records it's mm -hmm. beautiful it sounds perfect that's awesome so um just getting back to the funk and soul thing are you a big booker t and the mgs fan um i was back in the day i i think booker t and the mgs is a little too flat-footed for me it's kind of like a flat-footed meters right it's like meters are just they're they're dancing, right? They're sure. dancing around. They're on their tippy toes, literally. I mean, yeah. that's one of their yeah, songs, yeah. tippy toes. I mean, so I I connect a lot more to that kind of stuff um, personally. But I think that Booker T really opened up the doors for a lot of people, and they they were, you know, they did a lot of songwriting for a lot of these. Like Steve Cropper did a lot of songwriting with Otis Redding, mm -hmm. and. I mean, without those songs, without Green Onions, without sitting on the dock of the bay, what would music be like today? I mean, they played a huge role in all this stuff. I like a lot of the Stax record stuff, but I'm more, I'm a little bit more on the Isaac Hayes side and a little bit more on like the David Porter side, which David Porter and Isaac Hayes were actually the main writers for Stax for a while. Um, if you haven't listened to David Porter, I would check out some of his solo records. Okay. Um, they're a little more soulful. A little more uh, slow, like slow and low. Some of them are kind of fast, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that stuff is just great. Barquet stuff. I was more into the Barquets than it, you know. They're a little bit, they have a little bit more of that groove that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, just a little bit, like a little less flat-footed, mm -hmm. um, which flat-footed back in the day was a good thing because it was a little more palatable where, you know, the old white folks could just kind of, they could kind of take it in a little bit more and accept it. It was a little more crossover. And what it did was, like I said, it opened the door yeah. for these other artists to come in and win their hearts with their music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Thinking of it in terms like that, I think Booker T and the MGs, it's a little more um, hokey. I yeah. think just because of that organ sound, it's on everything, you know, mm -hmm. for what they did. But I have such um, a vivid memory of being a kid and watching the Sandlot. And there's that scene in the Sandlot where, like, the rival other Sandlot comes. You, do you Have you seen the Sandlot? Oh, yeah. You I know where they're that. riding their bikes up yeah, and then yeah. Green Onions is playing and then they're talking I shit know. to each other? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's badass. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's crazy, too, is, like, there's a couple tracks that actually Isaac Hayes, 
Hayes played the organ and the keys on, and it wasn't even Booker T. Really? Yeah, like Slim Jenkins Place, which is my favorite Booker T song. Slim Jenkins Place. Or I didn't Slim, know no, that. It's Slim Jenkins Joint. Okay. And that's Isaac Hayes playing piano on that. Because I guess Booker T was going to like college at the time or something, and he couldn't make it to the studio for the session. That's what I heard. I'm, I, it's not facts. So don't take, don't take it as facts, but just look it up yourself and see. Um, and, you know, maybe we can confirm it later. But, yeah, I've, I've heard. I have heard that Isaac Hayes. Has Did you it. ever listen to the Melting Pot record by Booker T? Yeah, that one is really cool. Okay. And that one definitely, uh, they loosened up a little bit more and got a little, you know, that's when Steve Cropper grew out his hair. You know, Duck Dunn had the beard. You yep. know, they, they were a little more hippied out, and I think they loosened up because that Melting Pot record is dope. And, I mean, that song, Melting Pot, is, you know, I played that one with one of the one of my bands, uh, like, I think last year, and just, it's, yeah, it's great. But it's still, like, it's so much easier to play than, like, the meters Yeah, as a guitar player. It's like... Steve Cropper was a great songwriter, and I think you know he he was badass in his own realm, especially with the bindies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like he's a telly guy. Yeah. I'm, I've never been a telly guy, and you know Leo from the Meters, Gibson guy, always been a Gibson guy. So it's like I connect more tonally. Yeah, for sure. As well as, you know, because you play different depending on the necks. Right? Absolutely. One hundred percent. You know, the telly, you're going to play different with the telly neck. You're going to play a little more honky-tonk. You're going to play a little more, you know, not necessarily, but you're going to do a little more bendies, yeah. like what he's doing. Because it sounds fucking cool on a telly. It sounds really cool. Yeah. You know, uh, it's sparkly and like, and it's easy. It's easy to bend on a telly, especially if you got like a maple neck or something. Um, but, but yeah, I mean... It, it's great in its own realm. And like you said, that Melting Pot record was great. And so uh, I'm very thankful for, for Booker T and the MGs. I mean, early, in my early 20s, I first heard that stuff, and it, I loved it. That was really before I even got into the meters. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it kind of opened the door for me, too. What is it about the meters that makes those guitar parts challenging? Um, it's, a lot of it's the rhythm. Because there's several dif- different rhythms going on at once. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's the rhythm. And, uh, you know, it's it's not really a trained kind of thing. It's, like, very heartfelt. The feel. Yeah, it's a lot the of it's feel, The ethereal feel. Yeah, a lot of it's feel. And it's funny because there's so many people that are like, ah, oh, I love the meters. Like, musicians, they're like, I love I love it and I love, I want to play it. I want to I want to be on this and that. And it's like... It's like, yeah, but a lot of people can't, you know? It's like you have to have that. A lot of people can, but a lot of people a lot of people can that I've heard, but they don't it's like doesn't sound right. Like it doesn't it doesn't sound authentic. Like it doesn't sound like Leo playing guitar. It doesn't sound like Zig, Ziggy on the drums. You know? It's like we've done 3 I think meters tributes now. And the only one that felt right to me that we did was the one that we had Daru Jones on the drums. Daru Jones was the only one that could do the Ziggy drums. The second line, New Orleans. It's not even second line. It's Ziggy. It's yeah. like it's like Drunken Master. It's like, you know, like that uh, Kung Fu style. 
It's I like, don't know what that is. What is it? Yeah, that? there's like a drunk there's like a kung fu fighting style. It's called like drunken master and it's like a certain style where it's like kind of like it's like it looks like you you're drunk, but it's like you're able to I don't know, it's like throw them off with the rhythm because it's like weird. And it's like that's how the Ziggy drums are. They're like it's like drunken drums. It's like it sounds like a hip hop drummer that's like drunk kind of. Interesting. Yeah, w- w- Thinking about like sissy strut, that's the one you you always hear when you go out. People but, don't play the drums right on that. Well, it's not only that; it's the other thing is the um, the bump, ba-da-da, bump, 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 ba-da-da-da. Like yeah. I feel like they always add. I don't even know if I just sang that right because the amount of times that I've heard it playing out, they always add extra notes into it. Yeah, I think it's just that. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I think you did sing it right. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's like different notes. And then there's another thing. I think it's like you're supposed to go to the the five instead of the one on the bridge. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. But um but yeah, it's that's a funny one. That is definitely a funny one. But it's like, yeah, it's it's such a great song when it's played the way that it was intended and it was in, it was written mm-hmm. and it was recorded. But if it's played a different way, then it feels hokey. It yeah. feels like, you know what I mean? But Do you yeah. know, you're a big Meters fan, so I assume you know this, the Cabbage Alley record? Yeah, I was never a big fan of that one. Really? Yeah, okay. never really liked that record. I like Cabbage Alley. I love this song, Soul Island. See, I never, yeah, I don't even know that song. Um, have to, I'll have to listen to it. When I first heard that record, what I thought was, oh, this is the one that the Beastie Boys like. Mm. Um, just just the grooves and shit on it. I don't know if the Beastie Boys ever sampled the meters, but it gave me that kind of vibe. You know, gotcha. Where yeah, I was like this. This is a little more Beastie Boys. Yeah, once the meters got to like seventy three and beyond, I like I lost interest in their their later stuff. Once they started singing on the albums, yeah, kinda. Yeah. Um, I mean. I like some of the singing, but like some of it is like because of that, what they've done, they they simplified their instrument parts, right? Like everyone loves Fire on the Bayou. It's a boring song to me personally, but everyone loves it, so we play it. It's one of those things. Um and that's, you know, the older I get, and the more I I I am just in the the music world, the more I want to play what people want to hear. But on a personal level, you know, there's stuff like like that where I'm just like, oh, man, it's just like it doesn't really hit me. Right. You know what I mean? Like the like the earlier stuff, like where it lo- it's like they're not singing, but it still has my brain like snapping and engaged the whole time. Fire on the Bayou, stuff like that. My brain shuts off. And maybe that's why people love it so much, because it does. It shuts their brains off and it makes them just kind of vibe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um but I mean, I love Hey Pocky Way. That's a really great one with vocals. And I think, you know, Ain't No Use. That was one of the ones from their later albums. I think it was from Rejuvenation? Like, uh, is it from Rejuvenation? I well, don't know. Well, that had, I, I think that was Ain't No Use. It might be from Rejuvenation, but I thought it was later. I thought it was like on their Directions album or whatever, New Directions. It was like a 76 record okay. or something. But it's like, Ain't No Use. Don't cut me loose. Yeah. Something like that. And But it's like, that song to me is really dope. But their other stuff, where they kind of did like a disco thing, I just, 
What about know. Kiss My Baby? Just Kiss oh, My yeah, Baby. Oh, yeah. Love Just Kiss yeah. My Baby. Love, uh, you know, people say is one of my, That Rejuvenation album is the shit. Yeah. That album is amazing. Um, and I think that actually came out after Cabbage Alley. I think you're right. But just, I don't know. What, what about Cabbage Alley? Just didn't. I don't know. Maybe I just need to revisit it because give it another try. Yeah, because when I listened to it, it was probably about six years ago, and I just maybe I couldn't connect to it because there's a lot of stuff that back in the day I I couldn't connect with. Maybe is where I was at in my life or musically, and I've recently revisited it. I'm just like, holy crap, that's good. Has there ever been music that you didn't like upon first listen, and then? like you're kind of talking about maybe six years later you go back to it or it comes across you again and you're like oh i actually fucking love this now yeah prince prince okay i used to despise prince what about him did you despise? i just thought because it, it, he it's like what we were talking about earlier with all these musicians that get up and they think they're so cool and they yeah. play they play it so seriously and that's what i always thought i was like so this guy he's putting makeup on He's taking himself way too seriously. Prince does take himself seriously. Yeah. Or did. It's like, like, okay, this guy takes himself so seriously. Dresses the part, whatever. And then he plays the cheesiest music you can imagine. Like, straight up, just bubblegum, pop, cheese, all over the place. But, if you throw away all those judgments, and you throw away all of everything that you're thinking, and you just listen to the music... Don't even think about him as a person. Don't even think about all of that. It's funky, and it's good. And there's a reason people like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think sometimes we we do that. We put things in boxes because we judge it from a... We just judge it. Yeah. From whatever perspective that we come across. Like, I didn't even judge it from a musical's perspective. I was judging it from a kind of like a a, pro, a product like I was judging it as a product like like he was a product and this product took himself too seriously and then you know but his music didn't reflect that yeah and so I felt like it was untrue like unauthentic and but it's like forget all that just forget all that and just listen to the music shut your eyes and do you feel something what do you feel okay then that's how you should feel about the music. I love Raspberry Beret. That's probably my favorite <laughs> Prince song. It's it's probably the most poppy one that there is, but um, it's just a beautiful song. You know, like it's almost like a like a Beatles style tune. That's what I always think of when I hear it. Oh yeah, it's it's good, man. I mean, and Prince had like some funky stuff going on before he was Prince. Like yeah. I think it was called like East 90, 95 East. Okay. With his band, and and there's this one track, uh, "If You See Me Walking," and I love that track. It's uh, it's really great, but it never really hit or anything. That was his band back in Minneapolis, but I recently re-listened to the Controversy album. Controversy's a great song, and I've had that on vinyl for, I think, like almost ten years now. But I only randomly put it on. And the only and I liked controversy. That was like one I like, you know, like controversy. Is and then, Bambi on there too? Um, no. But I revisited it recently, like a couple weeks ago, and I found the song Let's Work. 
Okay. And that song, if you haven't heard Let's Work, put it on sometime, especially when you get in the car and you're going somewhere and you're excited to go somewhere. Put it on when you're excited to do something. When you're excited to go somewhere or about to do something, put it on and it'll make you more excited. Okay. Let's work. Off controversy. Yes. Okay. I'll definitely check it out. Um, What have the grip sweats been up to lately? Uh, Pretty silent besides we played a show in January at Eastside Bowl, and that was amazing. Um, And that was for Funk Night Nashville. We started Funk Night Nashville back up again. Uh, Me and my boy Keith, uh, a.k.a. Rim Steel, and we are doing a Thursday night residency over at Inglewood Lounge where we're DJing every Thursday night, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., uh, all feel-good, funk, soul, disco, hip-hop stuff. And uh, Funk Night Nashville is every month, third Saturday of every month. This next month is XL Middleton from L.A. He's this synth maestro that does, like, vocoder stuff. And the Weird Sisters are opening up. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And uh, DJ Ken Sable. And, uh, yeah, that one's going to be amazing. That's uh, March 18th at the five spot. But um, Grip Sweats, I've just got a bunch of stuff in the Spank Bank that I'm waiting to re-record. And we'll have another show here coming up probably in May. And uh, like I was telling you earlier before we got on the podcast, I'm just trying to focus on a lot of the live stuff right now. Um because I took off all of 2022 to just uh, focus on my personal life. And now I'm kind of back at it, and I'm in the studio a little bit, but more of mixing. I've got a bunch of tracks that I've I've got. Uh, a Ricky Calloway and the Tennessee Band, 45 that I'm mixing. AJ and the Gigawatts, 45 that I'm mixing. Oliver James that I'm mixing. And then I have my label, which is Money Mouse Records. And I've got a Magic in Threes record coming out in the next six months um, to 45. And then a this dude that sold me the organ, my organ, uh, my Hammond organ from Muncie, Indiana. His name is John Ambrose. And it's kind of like an indie rock, like surf rock kind of. It's I don't know how to describe it exactly. It's like velvet underground ish but it's a little heavier okay a little bit on some parts um and that will be on my label released in the next year as well when did you start the label and what was the the inspiration behind starting the label um i think i started the label in 2020 it was like during the pandemic i had all these songs that i was pitching to terry over at coal mine and he was like man I want to release all these, but I just don't feel like we have, our calendar is full right now with releases. So I think what we should do is I trust your, your ear and your vision and your taste. So I'm just going to give you a label that's like a imprint. I think I remember us talking about this on the first podcast that you came on. Yes. So it's not a sub label. Their sub label is Karma Chief Records, but it's an imprint. So they have several imprints that these. What does imprint mean as far as labels go? I think it means that they give, they give a little bit of attention, um, and they help with distribution, and they pay for all the the costs up front, 
but they don't do extra promotion. They don't do any of the extra stuff. They don't actually put their name on it. You okay. know what I'm saying? So you're doing all the legwork for it. Doing all the legwork, but they're doing all the financial support and also the, um, like, they're they're making sure that it gets to the right places. So I don't have to do the extra outside stuff. So yeah. still, they're still doing some of the label work. Yeah. Which is great, um, and it relieves some some stress. But, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much how it started. And I, you know, he was he asked me if I wanted to. I said sure, and then I was just riding my bike around one day. Actually, I, it was during the pandemic, like 2020. I was riding my bike almost every day, about 20 to 40 miles, and I would oh, just shit. just put on my headphones and I would just zone out. I would zone out, man, and I would ride all the way to, like, Percy Priest Dam. I'd ride downtown from East Nashville. And That's a long way to go on a bike. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but it was summertime, so yeah. I was like, whatever. It feels great out. I'm just going to go for it. I'd be exhausted. Don't yeah. get me wrong by the end of the day, but um, it just popped in my head. Money Mouse, Money Mouse. And I thought of Money Mouse as, like, a character, and I thought it was pretty funny. And then it popped in my head again another day and then it popped in my head another day like usually when ideas pop in my head i just i'm like okay cool haha and then i let it go but because it popped in my head multiple times at least 3 3 to 4 times i decided i was like i i i had this like this feeling in my gut i was like this i feel like this is this is the name of the label you know i wanted to name it something else like I think I think the original name that I had that I really wanted to name it was Moon People Records. Okay. And I wanted to name it Moon People and I don't know why, but I just I wanted to for the longest time and then during the pandemic like that just kept popping in my head and that was right before I was actually making the first record for the label and coming up with the label name. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess I'm going to I mentioned it to my best friend Nick. And he was like, I love that. He's like, I love that name for the label. He's like, I think you should go with that. So I was like, all right. So I did. Yeah, well, it's um, a silly name, but in a good way. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, so is there anything else? You mentioned you got the some Grip Sweats gigs coming up. You're also mm -hmm. doing DJing at the Inglewood Lounge. You talked about that. Yes. What is it like... To be a DJ, are you spinning exclusively vinyl? I am. So uh, my my right hand man Keith, he does all digital. Like he did, he's got the you know he's got the uh, I think the CDJs and laptop setup, mm -hmm. and then we kind of just trade off. So I've got all vinyl, but we're doing all like feel good tracks. So it's like very positive, major key. A lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's cool because I'm a big, like, deep funk head, and I love a lot of minor key stuff, and I like a lot of just, like, dingy, dirty recording stuff. And I'm kind of veering away from that in this realm because I'm not I'm not playing what I want to hear. I'm playing what other people want to hear. Don't get me wrong. I love the songs that I'm playing as sure. well. Yeah, yeah. But it's like... I'm going for, you know, we're, we are going for more of, like, literally just a feel-good atmosphere. Well, you're not playing Maggot Brain at this. Definitely not, but we are playing Flashlight. Nice. Exactly. You know yes, absolutely. 
100%. The feel-good stuff, man. Yeah. And not like, yeah, it's like the stuff that doesn't make you think too much. Yeah. And also the stuff that doesn't like stress you out. Yeah. Because maggot brain, depending on where you're at in your life or your day, can be kind of stressful. Yeah. You're like, oh, man, I'm feeling a lot of stuff right now. I don't know if I want to feel this. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a particular grip sweat song that you feel has never gotten the attention it deserves or is kind of like flown under the radar? Because I'd love to play it on the end of this episode. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, one of my favorites, I mean, we've only released five songs online, actually six. Um, and one of them is a part one and two. So technically seven, but yeah, whatever. I'd say six. Um, it's, it was on the second record that we released and it's the B side. It's called intermission. Okay. Intermission. I mean, both the B sides for the first and second record didn't really get a lot of like attention, but that's why they're the B side, right? Yeah. But like Alpha Dog is from the first record, and okay. Alpha Dog is that one's more of a fun one. And then Intermission, um, I wrote that right after my dog that I had for like 13 years died. Damn. So I was actually going to name it Ernie's Dead because his name was Ernie. Yeah. But I was like, that's a little dark, so I'm just gonna call it something else. So yeah. I was like, it sounds kind of elevator-ish, so let's just call it Intermission. Perfect. And um. But that song's really cool. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of feeling in it and it's got a drum machine in it. And I really, it's a, it's kind of jazzy in the melodic, like the, the melodic part. So I dig it. Hell yeah. Where can people find you at, Andrew? Um, they can find, they can find me on Instagram at, uh, Muller Guitar. And uh, Facebook, I guess that's it. Yeah. All the records and stuff you can find on Discogs or you can find on uh, coalminerecords.com. Everything that's on Money Mouse and that's uh, Grip Sweats, AJ and the Jigwats. Um, and then follow Funk Night Nashville and Feel Good Nashville on Instagram and keep up with all of it. Dude, thanks so much for coming back on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Here is intermission. Keep on dreaming. See you next week. <laughs>